today on Soundtrack Alley, I'll be sharing with you an amazing interview I had with Frank Ilfman. We'll discuss his career as he's composed music throughout the years, uh, some of the background on some of his various projects that he's worked on. We'll even talk about his newer projects that he's even working on now. So I'd like you to sit back and relax as I offer this show now. You, of course, know me as Randy Andrews here on Soundtrack Alley. Today, I'll be presenting my interview with Frank Elfman. And so now, I will present that, and you'll hear various different music from different projects that he has composed. And I'm sure it's going to be an amazing show for you. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Randy Andrews, and with me today is Frank Ilfman. Uh, Frank, it's great to have you on my show today. Uh, thanks for having me, Randy. My pleasure. Yeah. When did you begin composing music? Um, oh, uh, I think probably f- quite early, but I think I wasn't aware of it being composing. Um, I would just come up with some tunes and stuff, but I think I wasn't aware of, of, you know, doing any of that. It was more like, um, I think I was, I was playing trombone at the time and it was more like, uh, finding melodies or finding, you know, things that I've heard. And then I would start kind of doing my own thing. Um, but I, I wasn't super aware they was composing. And I think just when I switched to playing uh, uh, piano um, that instead of practicing, um, you know, things that the, uh, my um, uh, tutor gave me, uh, I was like, I was coming up with my like melodies and chords and things like that. And I would, you know, play him that. And I think after a while he said, you know, just, you know, you're just composing your own things. So just continue with that path and, and uh, you know, just go with that and that's what I did but then up until that point I wasn't really aware that I was composing it was just like well I can try this or come up coming up with these kind of you know melodies but it was I was still too young I think to realize that uh what drew you to the film music world um I think for this um I think it was like a combination of things I was always you know always I think Growing up, um, my dad used to take me to all these, uh, you know, uh, matinees movies, and I would, you know, see all these um, adventure movies from the 
from the 50s and, and 40s and, um, you know, Westerns and, uh, and, you know, pirate movies. And, you know, you would, I would be very aware of like the music in those movies. Um, and I always loved cinema because that's what I grew up on and watching loads of TVs. And at home, my dad used to play loads of opera and, and classical music, but I never kind of made, you know, that kind of connection of both. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of started on a later, uh, uh, I would say later age where, um, I met, uh, Klaus Dullinger and, you know, when I was on the set of never ending story, and then I saw how they were recording it to picture, um, that I think that, that kind of, I think the seed was planted before, but that was the kind of uh thread that connected all of that and then i thought oh that would be great to to try and do but i was just uh, i was around 13 at the time so it wasn't i think anything that at that age i said oh that's what i want to do for me it was more about being um being in a band and you know doing uh i guess uh, new wave music and electronic music and and uh being on tour and things like that so um, I think that started kind of later, but that seed was already planted. And then at some point I started doing music for theater and that's kind of somebody heard it and that led for me doing a film. And, and I thought, actually, yeah, that's what I like to do. Cause then, you know, I can still do my own thing and compose stuff and bring ideas, but then I have an image to write to and I like cinema. So that then that's, I think, where it's kind of started so it would be my um i think that was would be my yeah late teens when i started doing that What was your first film that you worked on? Uh, my first first film actually was um, that I did myself was uh, was an Israeli film called uh, uh, was, uh, was I think the translation of it was Snowing in August, and um, it was literally my first film. I mean that was um, that was in the yeah, that was late 80s, I think. Or, yeah, it was late 80s, early 90s, maybe 91 or something, or 1991, possibly the latest. And I, we didn't have a lot of budget for it. Um, and um, so I've used some, sam some samplers and then I sampled these, uh, these kind of opera singers and just use all these kind of primitive percussion. Um, and, uh, you know, we were working on 
proper film, 35 mil back in the day. And uh, I had a click book that Earl Hagen gave me to, to try and calculate how many clicks I need to do. And when, I, when we recorded the, some of the musicians and um, I think till today, I remember there is like a, there's a scene in the film where I, I miscalculated by like, by like, uh, I think it's like two seconds that the music ends prior to the end of the scene. Nobody noticing it, but I know where it is. And, you know, it just kind of ends. And then you see the actor kind of walking off on, on silent. I never thought it was a great idea that it kind of makes it more dramatic. But I know it's because I kind of <laughs> screwed up with my calculation, you know. Uh, but yeah, that, you know, and that that film kind of led to other films. And, and, uh, and it was just literally kind of diving straight into the deep end, you know, of... Um, of doing features and it just kind of continued from there. Well, that's that's really good. Um, when you were at the conserva conservatorium, um, did the methods of that system restrict you from what you wanted to accomplish with music? I don't think, like when I look back, um, I I don't really think that was the case. I think it was more the case of of me finding, uh, you know, all that kind of theory thing uh, a bit boring. And um, because I have number dyslexia, I found, um, I found like dealing with notation a bit, a bit tedious. Um, and even today, my reading is not as fast or, you know, um, when I have to do it, I always have to have my bar numbers on the programs running so I can keep up sometimes. And um, I, th I think it was more about, you know, being a teenager and, and uh, you know, you, you know, somebody will say, uh, let's, let's keep theory lesson instead of, of our, you know, of our sessions and, and go play uh, video games, you know, uh, in, the, in the, you know, gambling uh, parlor next door or something like that, or let's do something else. And it was always seemed to be more interesting than, than sitting in theory lessons. So, you know, um, I've, I've kind of caught up with everything because I taught myself then to orchestrate and, you know, how instruments works and, and um, 
and all of the stuff that I kind of missed when I was, you know, a teenager. But, you know, if I could go back and tell myself, you know, don't skip it, um, probably I would say, yeah, it's something that's, you know, you need to learn it because it, it's a valuable thing. I learned it afterwards, you know, because I knew I needed it and I kind of, you know, I'm very good with being disciplined. So I kind of, you know, sat with all the books and, and when I started working with orchestras, um, in uh, my early 20s so you know it was a valuable tool to have because you, the last thing you want is get on a stage and you're clueless about when somebody is asking you a question you know or you know you have to deal with something that you need to solve um but it was more i think case of just being a you know teenager and just kind of goofing around and you know i enjoyed that like when we did the you know like when we had the the I was playing trombone at the time, so it was more about doing the the orchestra, the you know the big band sessions and playing and and arranging stuff. So that I would you know I enjoyed and I was there all the time. But when it came down to just sitting with our um, conductor and just going to free lessons, we were like, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go do something else, you know. Hmm. But I, I don't think it's kind of. Rest- I mean, it's a hard thing to know if I would because I never went through like a proper, um, you know, music college and um, study composition and things like that. I'm self-taught. Um, I don't know if it would have been restrictive for, you know, kind of like voice that I created for myself or how I write things and I approach things. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to know, you know, I think, you know, there's composers who, you know, went through all of that and they have a very distinct voice. So I think, you know, um, it's it's hard to know it's an individual thing. So I can't, I don't know if it would have restricted me, you know, in that sense. But it, I just, the path that I took was just like, okay, at some point, okay, better sit down and learn it because you're going to need it, you know. <laughs> it's a good tool. Yeah. So your, uh, your method uh, for uh, composing is more uh, methodical, or could you say maybe it's forensic as a diagnosis for music? How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, in some way it is. Um, I mean, I work, I'm, I always work like very, uh, in, a, in a much more intuitive way than analytical way. Like I won't, when I start a score or something, I don't, you know, I don't have the concept and I guess this is not having a proper, um, you know, like a formal uh, training in, in orchestration or composition. And so I don't sit and I think, oh, I'm going to do use this method to compose or I'm going to use this method in orchestrating or this kind of stuff for the, for the instruments. You know, I, I do stuff that I feel are um, intuitive for the way I work. And then, you know, I would get a word from my orchestrator or something saying, oh, so, okay, so we're doing this and we're doing this method or this, you know, uh, uh, this kind of approach. And I go, oh, okay, so that's how it's called, you know, because I wouldn't <laughs> know necessarily the name sometimes. So, um, you know, I, I would, yeah, I would, I would think like, okay, I would do, I would go for a certain direction, like which, which is more in a, um, I would say a broad, like a very broad direction of what I what I want to do in that score. 
and then like the the more kind of small parts will just kind of small you know they'll fall into place and then i'll go okay i'm gonna okay it's that method or you know i have to look it up why is this you know i have to consult and kind of get an idea of okay that's what we're going to do okay we can try and do that on you know things like that but it's a more for me it's more intuitive way of working than kind of be much more analytical about okay i'm going to use this approach because i think that will work you know i just do something and then realize oh i've, got, I've gone for that or i've gone for that you know? and I, I like the way you work that's yeah. a that's a good way of working because sometimes it's easier to pick up on uh, on a melody or something uh, that you can think of intuitively rather than, uh, oh, let me consult this book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's a very, it's, it's almost as similar as like, I've done scores where, you know, I had orchestrators telling me, you know, that, that kind of scale or, you know, um, would be a bit more difficult for the orchestra to play. But I find that, you know, you play something in a certain, you know, what what feels intuitive for me to play in whatever scale. I don't think I'm going to do it in a in this scale or that scale. I just start improvising, you know, as I go, um, coming up with the melody and the chords and the harmonic kind of structure. And then, you know, somebody will say, well, why don't we shift it to this scale because it's easier to play. But then when you try it, it doesn't feel as natural or it doesn't feel that it has that kind of um, color that you want to, you know, portray with the orchestra or, the, or, you know, any musicians. And it's like, no, that scale, yeah, it's hard to play, but actually that gives that essence that you, you know, that music supposed to portray. So it's, uh, it's almost like, I guess, I think like, you know, like being a jazz musician, you know, a lot of it is built on improvisation and then you kind of, starts to pin down what you're improvising or where you're improvising or certain bits of the melody that fall into place and you repeat them and the rest is you know pure improvisation so i think it's a more jazzy approach although i i come from a big band but i don't come from like you know proper jazz mm -hmm. that's really good um in your bio it talks about melody and creating that do you think melody is making a comeback into modern composing? Um, I, I, I think it's it's I think it's still there. It hasn't left to 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 a, you know to a full degree. There's there's a lot of I think there's a lot of um, you know there's like specific styles that you know kind of running around at the moment that um, if it's like a bit of the more minimalist or that kind of droney feel to it where there's not really i think it's more about um that it's say instead of a melody you would have um, some specific sounds that are you know reappearing so that the the hook or the theme are actually you know a, a, they're more sound orientated than having you know a proper melody based on on a few bars um some of it could be, you know, could be a few chords that are on a repeat, but there the chords are kind of like the melody. Um, I think like something good with with uh, that kept kind of like the melodies going is all these, um, you know, superhero movies that's been going around because they're all of them are very kind of thematic orientated. So I think um, any movie of of you know of 
of those genres always have um, or adventure movies. They always have some sort of a theme running around and stuff. So I think that stuff that kind of kept going as well, you know. And I think now, um, I think we kind of gone back a bit to where um, directors want something a bit more melodic or memorable. Um, and I think when you, I think when you do something more melodic and it's it's much more easier for the audience and it's so it's memorable and it helps I think to remember, you know, it helps to remember the film. Um, it's not just another kind of drone or background that you know, especially I think with so much content today um, that goes around, um, you know, you kind of lose side you know especially with um i would say especially with tv shows so if you have some sort of a memorable theme of you know it could be either sounds or some sort of a leitmotif or something but you hear it every you know every theme every episode you kind of remember it more um so i think that kind of melodic uh, approach is 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 now stronger than what it was you know maybe a year ago or or two years ago i think it's kind of coming back again and again you know? Um, I think it's it's always goes in some sort of a circle, you know. Um, so I think uh, we're kind of branching back to that kind of moment. Even even with minimal music, um, you know, it becomes more melodic than just you know a bunch of kind of like drones and chords and stuff. Yeah. So I think I think it's kind of making a comeback of sorts.
Uh, how did the project for Ghost Stories come about for you? Um, Ghost Stories, um, that we, so I did, I did a film called Big Bad Wolf, which was a, a huge success and uh, got me the, the Saturn here in the back. And, um, and it, it, you know, it kind of put all of us, you know, on the, on the, on the map. And, um, we had a we had a premiere in um, called the Empire Leicester Square. Uh, it was like the last film that was shown before they demolished the the theater and they built this uh, multiplex um, in central London. So we had like a big premiere and and um, and Andy Neyman, who's one of the directors and the star of uh, one of the stars of Ghost Stories. So he he came to the premiere and. Um, he became a big fan of, of the music and, and the film. And he got in touch with me. I think it was even through, I think it was even through Twitter or something like that. And, um, you know, we, we met up for a coffee and we had a chat. We got along very well. Um, and then we, we just kind of stayed in touch. And uh, I think uh, I had a, then I had a call saying Ghost Story, because originally Ghost Stories was a, was a theater play. Um, it had another run in the West End, and he said, "Oh, we're going to see the the rerun of Ghost Stories because uh, it's starting again um, in the West End." And uh, so I went with him and his uh, his son and a few other people, and uh, you know, I saw the play. There was no music in the in the play; it was just sound uh, sound design, and uh, it was you know freaking scary. You know, even for a play, it had a lot of essence, and it was really good and, and really great. And uh, we just kind of kept in touch. And then I think one of our kind of, you know, meetups, he said, oh, we're, me and Jeremy, <clears throat> we're thinking of um, turning it into a film. Would you be interested in doing the score? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. You know, it's a, it's a great play. I'd love to be part of it. Um, and then I think, you know, we stayed, the, you know, the odd call here or coffee here. And it was like, I think, three years after. Um, I get a I get an email from their producer saying Andy and Jeremy wants you to come down and have a sit down. Um, we're we're literally about to start shooting in one month. Um, so yeah, it's, I just uh, went down to the to the production office and we, you know, they showed me like the um, sketchbook of of and their concept and uh, we had a long chat about it. And uh, yeah, it just kind of went from there and it became quite a big success.
Now you've worked with uh, legendary pictures quite a lot. Um, how did designing the music for the logo work out? Um, well, that that as well, kind of funny enough, came when I went to LA for the Saturn Awards, and um, um, they kind of asked me to come into their office, um, and um, you know, they, they it wasn't this, we weren't discussing the logo at the time. We were just discussing maybe some future projects and things like that, and. Um, and uh, they were waiting for one of the heads of music to come back from uh, from a holiday. Um, so I said, you know, I'm still in LA and stuff. And then I won the Saturn and stuff. Um, and then um, they called me up and they said, oh, uh, I think it was Peter. Um, Peter is back, you know, can you come down for the office for a meeting and meet Peter and stuff? So I said, yeah, sure. And um, I came down, I thought it would be just, you know, another meeting of uh, being introduced to head of music and um they go listen we're we want to replace um james newton howard uh logo with with some new music and we want you to do it um so for me i thought okay it's probably maybe they want me to pitch you know for the new logo and stuff and i said yeah i'll be happy to pitch he said no no we want you to we love your work we love how you write and we want you to write the new logo for legendary so I said, great. Um, they sent me it. They sent it over, and then we ended up recording a huge orchestra at Every Road. A couple of uh, was it? Um, uh, yeah, it was a couple of months afterwards and stuff. Yeah, it's uh, the funny part is that it's got so much delayed that we recorded it. It took like I think a year after to be released oh, wow. due to you know well studio politics with because i think they were changing they were with universal then they moved to warner so they couldn't release anything until they moved so we recorded the logo i think yeah the every road and it's like a year year and a half after that the logo got released and now it's yeah it's, it's every tv show uh on every movie that uses the legendary logo that's mine yeah oh nice very yeah. nice pretty, pretty cool to see it yeah yeah
um, with with current composing works, what brought you to the operative, and how did uh, you arrive with the main themes for that film? Um, the operative um, is, I think, I got involved with that partially because um, uh, I'm German by by origin, so they needed a German composer. Uh, and uh, the director who lives in the States is, is, is Israeli by origin. Um, we didn't know one another, uh, we knew one another by name, but we didn't know, we never worked together or anything like that. Um, but I think, but I worked with his producers uh, on a film called Abu Lele, which won the, um, the Jerry Goldsmith Award. And, uh, so the producer, the, his producer knew me. Um, and then they said, look, we're, you know, he wants to, to work with you. And, you know, now, and also because you're German, we can get the text break because we need a German composers and you guys, you know, you speak the same language and stuff. So, um, yeah, we had a meeting and had a spotting of the, of the film. And uh, he already, I think he already kind of downloaded some tracks of mine from, from a website or something. And, so he was quite familiar with some of my work and said, oh, I like this direction and I like this direction. And um, yeah, our discussion was like, how do we, you know, our approach was, was that we want to kind of approach it as a more of a psychological thriller, um, besides being that kind of spy movie type uh, thriller. Um, and it's all about her state of mind as a, as a spy and um i think there's like there's so so i came up with like the main movie theme and then i that that theme actually more or less is there's two parts of it that becomes um becomes uh, her theme as well so they kind of they almost like coexist in a certain way so when you hear the the film the film theme which is throughout the the movie um it's also have parts of her film and then they kind of they um they run parallel in some of the cues um and then there's a there's a cute there's a there's almost like a third uh i would say a motif more than anything which is for martin's freeman character who's a, her operative in a way um and and then it the end credit is kind of like, uh, which is some, something sometimes that I do a lot is I take all these kind of different themes and, and riffs and then I combine them to one kind of one suite. So that's almost like the end of the movie. Um, and um, yeah, once we had those, uh, it was funny because I was in London, director was in New York and we, we used to do all, all these kind of pre pre you know pandemic zoom but we had to do all these kind of zooms with the music and then um yeah i went to i went to berlin to record the score because of again being taxation and has to be a german uh, funded uh on the music side so yeah i went to berlin to record it and um it's it i think it was like number one on amazon for a while actually it was much it's actually it had more success on the streaming services than it had in uh, cinema, funny enough.
Uh, what can you tell me about the documentary called Spear Goes to Hollywood? Um, so Spear, which is uh, funny enough, um, I'm nominated now for the IDA Awards in Los Angeles. So uh, finger cross all works well. Uh, they'll fly me over. Um, so Spear, Spear came about, um, I, know, I know Vanessa um, and Tomer for many years. Um, and um, I didn't work with them before. It was, it's actually the first film that I, I've done with them. Um, and I met them right when they actually, I think uh, I did, uh, what was the, I think I actually did a film called Cupcakes, which I recorded. And then I met them right after they recorded their score for their first film. Uh, I think it was a decent man or something like that, and um, and we we knew one another from from Israel as well. Um, you know, I know Tomer is a sound designer and a colleague, so uh, he worked on Big Bad Wolf part of it, and um, so we we kind of knew one another uh, personally. Um, and then yeah, just, I just got a call one day from Tomer. Uh, uh, was like two years ago saying we're doing a second part called Spear Goes to Hollywood above Albert Spear. Um, and, uh, you know, we want you to do the music. Uh, so they they came over to London, uh, showed me a, I think it was still a fairly rough cut of the film. Um, and we had a, a very long discussion about how to approach it. I mean, when you do documentaries, not like when you do fiction, a lot of time you don't want to influence the audience because um, film music is about manipulation. So with, with documentary, it's, it's always like a thin line of, of you know, uh, realism versus, you know, dramatization. And um, with, with Spear Goes to Hollywood, it was, it was a hard one because for me it was also a bit emotional because my dad and his family went through the Holocaust in labor camps, which Albert Speer was responsible for that. Um, and the idea was that he, he because he kind of portrayed himself as the, as the good Nazi, you know, he, he tried to be, you know, like, like Schindler in a way, you know, that he was actually saving not just Jews, but, you know, the whole forced, you know, the, the whole prisoner forced labor kind of thing. He was saving them from death, which was not true, obviously, but, uh, he was trying to portray himself as, you know, being a good guy. And our idea was that we wanted to show, you know, to the audience, even though they know, you know, he's bad or people who don't know him, we wanted to show that he's trying to be good. We wanted to manipulate the audience as well to the point where, you know, we want them to know when we see, when we see his interviews and him talking that, you know, the music portray him as a good guy, you know, even though it, we know he's bad and it's going to turn later. So for me, it was a bit hard to try and, you know, uh, well, not a bit, but it was quite hard to, to, to kind of work it out musically. How do you make this guy sound good? You know, not like, you know, um, not evil or, or not even like uh, just kind of in the background, but like really trying to get the audience to emphasize with him um, and, and then kind of switch them over. So 
the idea was to divide the film, I think, into like, um, I think it was like three parts. So we had the, the documentary side of all the kind of archive footage. Um, we have Speer, which had all this kind of um, good music. And then we had like all the Holocaust survivor and, and the war footage. And, and then we had the Nuremberg trials, which we decided to keep as realistic as possible with no music and just add music at a later date when we kind of turn him into the bad, you know, that he is. Um, and yeah, we, we, you know, it was, it was quite a long process of getting it right. Um, we went for several directions and until we kind of knew what we had and what we felt was really working. Um, I think working on that was like, um, I think took about almost like seven or eight months to do the score for Spear. And, um, yeah, and then, yeah, we recorded the, the orchestra and the choir in London. And um, yeah, then it just started to go around. I mean, we had a premiere in Berlin, in, uh, Berlin and then COVID started, so everything kind of shut down. So the whole film got delayed and, and it just started now. So it plays in the States um, and it's now running for, you know, uh, it's qualified for the Oscar, so hopefully it will go into, you know, um, into the running. Um, and then, yeah, it's got submitted to the IDA. So they decided the music uh, is, is uh, worthy of a nomination, which is a great honor uh, to be, you know, we're running against all the big networks and, you know, we're quite a small film, but it makes a lot of, a lot of noise. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was, it was quite an emotional project to be part of, but it, it was worth the, 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 the amount of, you know, kind of emotional drainage that came with it. Mm -hmm. Now, is it, is it getting nominated for an award for, um, like this year or is it for next year? Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's in February. So it's, uh, yeah, this year. Yeah. So I'm supposed to fly to LA in the beginning of February, but let's see, <laughs> you know, we're dealing with a new, uh, a new pandemic again, you know, like everything starts to get down again. So we'll see.
Well, that's a that's a really uh, fascinating journey that you had to take with that documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, now switching gears quite dramatically yeah. <laughs> um, in the genre of like assassin type films uh, you did gunpowder milkshake what inspired the main theme to that film um, with gunpowder so I worked with uh, with Navot who also directed Big Bad Wolf and um, you know the way we work is um, we've done it on I think all the films we've we've kind of until now is we always kind of start with Navot will come with some musical ideas uh will be usually some sort of a playlist of you know could be songs could be cues from different films um because he, he does that as he writes the scripts um so when he does you know he writes any script he already kind of plays you know music styles and and think about how to approach it in a musical way and, um, you know, then I'll get sent uh, the playlist and we'll have a chat about it, even before anything was filmed. Um, and, you know, and, he, and I'll say, but have you heard this one or have you heard this musician or have you heard this song? Um, or, yeah, I can see where you're going with this style, but, you know, there is also this style, which I think we can combine. And, and we have like this playlist that kind of grows and grows with different directions. And, um, you know, as you... As, as the, the film started to kind of progress in, in you know, in, in the making of um, while they're shooting and then while the, they're editing, you know, we'll already start to discuss the music and I'll sit and I'll start to, you know, uh, scribble some ideas and put together some mock-ups. And then we'll still have the playlist with, with you know, different directions and... Um, so that's usually kind of like the way we work. And then with Gunpowder, you know, we knew kind of like from day one, uh, even when we talked about the script and then when I flew in to see um, some, uh, when they were shooting still, um, the like ideas of, of where we wanted to take it. So the idea was like this kind of, um, as you say, it's like this assassin, neo-Western, um, you know, comics book, um, you know, um, you know, it's a combination between Akira Kazawa and, and Alfred Hitchcock and Bernard Herrmann and you know Henry Mancini and and uh, Sergio Leone and and any more on it kind of thing. So it's it's like fusing, you know, it's like how do you fuse all of those one into kind of a unique character without spoofing it, you know. Um, and that's usually, you know, he will throw all these kind of things at me, which will freak me out at first. And then I'll have to go and think about how do I fuse those into like a character within the movie? Because music always have a very important role in all the films he does. Um, and it's always, you know, it'll be, it'll be super front, but it'll be super loud, you know? Um, and, um, you know, we fought, you know, one side, she's an assassin. So we wanted to have that kind of 60s, um, you know, John Barry kind of French pop influence. And then on the other side, you know, the Scarlet was like a gunslinger. So we wanted that kind of Western, uh, spaghetti Western feel to it. Um, and that it, I think the main idea was to, how do we make it unique yet timeless? You know, so you can't really pinpoint, you know, what, 
what point in time we are you know is it now is it the past is it the future you know and it has that kind of neo popish feel to it it's very catchy everything is like super uh you know memorable um which i think was in a way tried to be i think that kind of turned out to be the hardest part is how do you do something that's super catchy because when i do it for me it's a repeat and i you know i can hum it very quick because i run it over and over but then when you send it to somebody you know would they say oh yeah it's catchy you know like oh yeah i can remember it straight away so it took a few uh tries to kind of you know from about to say oh yeah i can remember i can hum it oh yeah that's great you know so once we have that it was just like to get the secondary theme uh, of you know uh and I, I think this, yeah, this uh, scarred me. There's like two or three themes in the film. But once we have those locked in, the rest was more about orchestrating because there's like so many characters in the film. Um, and then like the baddies have, they don't really have a theme. They have more of a, which is what I said earlier, is more of a very light motif, but with a certain instruments. So it's always a repeat of that. So you you kind of hear those timpanis and that lower brass, and you know that's the baddies, you know, that's the that's the kind of clumsy goons. Um, and then um, you know, the idea is is how how much can we we kind of push it where we, you know, we say, oh. We're doing a fight, a bloody fight scene where we use a mariachi band with like baroque instruments, you know. So we tried to push the boundaries as much as we could, and and you know the studio kind of allow us to go with it, and that you know that seems to work, and everybody's super happy. So now they're working on number two.
that's that's pretty cool because yeah. um one of the themes that i think goes unnoticed is the theme of the uh like the moss monster masked yeah. villains yeah, um i thought that was a really unique um approach to that that those set of baddies because they were random they weren't they weren't a part of this other group yeah they're, they're kind of like the kidnappers they they show up like uh i think uh, around half the movie for you know for like 10 minutes and that's about it you know um and i think the idea was that you know we we kind of um I wanted to give them that kind of Hitchcockian, you know, like uh, 60s monster movies, you know, like um, um, all the kind of Hammer House and, and you know, Dracula and the Mummy and, uh, you know, uh, all that kind of uh, uh, 60s uh, and like it was like 40s, 50s, actually more than, than the 60s. Um, and then, you know, they meet in this kind of videotech. And, you know, you got all these kind of um, posters in the back. And I thought, you know, like uh, using a theremin to play with the orchestra, same kind of riff with the brass, but, you know, the brass are playing and stuff would give it that kind of, you know, alien came and, and, you know, and the blob and all these kind of movies from the 70s. So it's a combination of like 40s, you know, uh, you know, all this kind of hammer house and, and uh, that kind of monster universe. And then you got that kind of 70s B-movie feel to it, you know, and I think that worked well. And then when we get kind of like to the chase, that that kind of goes into that kind of surfer, rock surfer type stuff with a bit of dub music at some point. And then it goes into that kind of Baroque Toccata music. Um, and yeah, I mean, those are like, you know, I think it's like two cues, two or three cues, yeah, when when she kills Dracula and stuff. So, so you have those kind of, you know, three cues that are completely uh, separated from the rest of the film. They're, they're, they're like in their own unique world. It's like, you know, it's kind of take us to the monster world and then we're back into the, you know, gunpowder world kind of thing.
where do you see your uh, career going in five years? It could it could go two ways. It could be you know one side you can go. I want to thank the academy. Or the other side could be I think I think it was Robin Williams who said you go I want to thank the academy or you go would you like large or small fries with that you know so um, you know I, I think that, I think it's more about doing you know doing interesting films and films that you know you can kind of uh, contribute you know part of yourself into into what you know the filmmakers um, want to kind of uh project out you know to the audience and stuff so i mean you know i've been quite lucky that i got to do you know most of the films i do is films that i love to you know uh, get a chance to kind of experiment and sometimes yeah sometimes you don't have the time to do it but it's it's nice i've been quite lucky that you get a chance to experiment and come up with like different ideas of how to approach you know even the mainstream project like gunpowder you know, but we, we we were allowed to kind of go left field with the music and do stuff that, you know, not necessarily people go, oh, okay, you know, it's kind of threw you off, but it works, you know, so yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, Are there any directors that you would like to work with? Um, um, not really, you know, like, I like to work with directors who are, you know, who are challenging, I think. I don't really have any, you know, specific name. There's so many directors that I think that are so, you know, great at what they're doing and, and how they approach, you know, films. Um, I think, you know, any director that's kind of, you know, doesn't kind of come and goes, um, okay, here's a temp track, uh, you know, do that. Um, you know, and say, you know, what can you, what can you bring? Or, you know, I'm looking for something, you know, fresh and something that you can more add to it. I think for me, that's, that's more important than just do, you know, what, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you do, you know, it's a job and sometimes you do need to do what they want on the temp track. And sometimes it's the right decision and sometimes it can could be better but you know if they're open-minded i think that's the most important part so a director is open-minded i think that's the best part of it that's really good uh, so in film music uh who has given you the most influence for your um film music career um i think i mean the most i would say probably uh would be um Ennio Morricone in some in in more more or less um, also because you know chatting to him in some way and and so it was always looking at him as some sort of a mentor um, which you know for me was a, a great honor to, that we could play homage in Gunpowder you know and um, and uh, then I think uh, I would say probably Earl Hagen that I met a few times and. Uh, and Walter Schiff, and um, even um, uh, even Jerry Goldsmith, that I got to chat to a couple of times, and I was I was quite lucky, and Klaus Dullinger, I was quite lucky in that way of of meeting these people. That um, you know, when I started, you didn't have the internet, and you didn't have like YouTube and all, you know, 
you didn't have all this kind of knowledge that out there about how you do a film, you know, um, and asking, you know, getting a clickbook from Earl Hagen and learning how to calculate stuff and, and um, getting all these kind of musical advices from these guys were like, you know, was a fountain of knowledge, you know, back, especially back in the day. Um, but, but the most I would say is probably any more. And then, you know, me listening to a lot of like, um, you know, growing up on uh, on Corn Gold and and uh, Max Steiner and uh, Arnest Gold and um, you know Bernard Herrmann and stuff. So I think those are a lot of the influences that I grew up with when I was listening to film music back in the day.
Very nice. Uh, so what project are you currently working on that you can tell me about? Um, uh, there's a, well, there's a, um, there's one that I, well, actually I cannot really talk about much, but I'm doing, um, it's like for something for Apple TV, but, uh, uh, I'm doing also, uh, I'm working with, uh, this guy called Aristotle Moore. We've done a few films that, um, we did, we did a film called the art of nothing actually, <clears throat> um, sorry, the art of waiting. And the soundtrack is actually is going to come out. I think in I think in January. Um, so we're doing we're doing a new film which is called Children of God, um, which I'm I just literally started writing, and that's that's funny enough is a I think it's a style of music that I haven't really kind of touched on, which is 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 that kind of um, it's it's like a it's, I would say it's like Balkan music. It's like gypsy Balkan music. Uh, so for me, um, it's, it's not music that I've written, you know, that I had a, any opportunity to write. So it's a, it's a quite a new um, territory for me to explore. Um, so we're doing, it's kind of like a fusion of modern Balkan music. Um, and then, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of starting to discuss, you know, Gunpowder too of like, you know, what, what approach we're going to take with the music for that one. So, yeah. Well, that's cool. pretty good. Cool. Like, yeah. That's, that's a really, uh, that's some good projects to be able to expand your repertoire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite fun to, you know, like Balkan music because it's a way a lot of it is, is, uh, is built on improvisation. So, you, you, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, you give the player charts and then you start working with them on, on how, you know, what phrases to use and, you know, these are the chords. Okay, what can you bring and improvising stuff? And then it's, it's like working with a band, you know, you start hammering stuff out and then kind of chisel away until you get your kind of melody and your song and stuff. So it's quite fun. Yeah, it's, it's a challenging thing, but it's, it's quite fun to do. Yeah. That's excellent. Well, Frank, I want to thank you for taking the time today to uh, be interviewed. And um, this interview will go up probably in the next year, uh, in January sometime. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll definitely let you know when, like before it goes up and uh, let you know. So that way, even you can promote it and uh, we can get your voice out there. Ah, thank you very much for having me. It's You're welcome. Fun.
Thank you for listening to this interview that I had with Frank Ilfman. To close the show today, I've included one last final piece of music from, of course, Gunpowder Milkshake. It's one of my favorite scores that he's done so far, and I think it's just a ton of fun. So enjoy this lasting cue from Gunpowder Milkshake. Until next time, take care and happy listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the show, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's intro music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter, at Cinematic Sound on Facebook, and from wherever you're listening to us today, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Reviews help introduce potential new listeners to the show. While you're at it, head over to TeePublic to find yourself a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt and support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.